Uh, we're in this series called Culture of Honor, and if you were with us last week, um, you know, one of the things that, that as, a, as, as a Christ-led church that we actually have to learn, how, how do we honor old people? That's what the Bible says. Um, it's easy to honor those who, who deserve it or earn it, but it's a lot harder to, to honor those that we find incredibly difficulty, you know, have difficulty in liking or loving. Um, so how do you honor that? And I think, I, think uh, I, I know of at least three testimonies of people going home and, make, and causing reconciliation to happen with family members that uh, one person hadn't spoken to a parent in 15 years. And uh, went home this week on the back of that. So, you know, and that's part of our, our core value here. So if you're still holding a fence, still need to go and forgive somebody, still need to sort some stuff out, just go and do it. You know, it uh, doesn't take much. And what you'll find is it usually runs pretty easy. Um, today, I'm on the, the great subject that Northern Irish people love talking about, money. And uh, uh, we're in the second week of, uh, of this series called Culture of Honor. And um, it's, uh, um, I, 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 whenever you come to do, to do a sermon like this and you kind of think about it in your past for church, it's like it's easy to shy away from the truth of what the Bible actually has to say. And yet I think I've never been somebody who shied away from, from tackling difficult subjects. Um, um, I don't think it should be a difficult subject, but the Bible has consistently, all the way through, talks about the principle of sowing and reaping. It talks about the principle of, of a church being a, a generous church. Um, if you go back in history and look through church history at all, you'll realize in, in, in countries that, had, that Christianity was perhaps the only religion that, that, that out, of a, out of a sense of the Holy Spirit's leading, hospitals, um, uh, charities, homeless shelters were the thing that were created because of the church. If you go back to Jerusalem, you'll realize that healthcare and, uh, and, and, and things that, that happened over the next 100 years after the church started was because the church had a care for its community. And, and, and all the way through scripture, you see that God's kingdom is one of a generous kingdom. It's about sacrificing our own and bringing that to God. And the Bible has that principle of sowing and reaping. And I guess it's what it's a little bit like, like life. What we invest into, what we sow into, what we work hard at, you'll reap a benefit. Maybe you go to work, you work 40 hours a week, and you get a, a reward in a salary. Um, maybe you drink a bottle of vodka a day, you'll reap alcoholism. And the thing is this, what we invest into, what we put ourselves into, often is what we will get back out of it. And uh, um, I, I want to just highlight something today, that if you're sitting here today, that you are one of the top 10% of the richest people on the planet today in our country, that 3.5 billion people around the world live on two pound a day or less. And I want you to keep that in the forefront of your mind because when it comes to the question of how is it that, that as a church we're meant to be a blessing, we're meant to be this, this sacrificial givers, we're meant to be, be laying down our own lives at a sacrifice. It goes back to the early church. Early church. They, they, they gave to all who was in need. They sold their possessions. Um, I wonder if you've ever sold a possession to give away to somebody who was in need. You know, it's easy to do it for family, but is it, is it even harder to do to somebody that we, we maybe don't even know? Uh, how, do we, how do we understand that the blessing of heaven is, is somehow, some way linked in the mystery of God that when we, we invest into God's kingdom, there's a harvest to be, to be reaped? And I've got good news and bad news. The good news is that we're incredibly best. Uh, and, and the bad news is the chances are, the chances are that you're, you're probably a below average giver, all right? But the good news is you're probably above average purchaser of materialism. 
And, and, and what you find is that, 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 that it might be a little bit shocking to me. Um, um, some charities got together last year along with uh, Children in Need, Tear Fund and a couple of other ones, and they did a survey wide in the UK to find out what people gave. They, they're, they're, it's, it makes some interesting reading for the statistics. Uh, studies are clear that as your income increases, the percentage of people what they give decreases. Whereas, you know, I, how, many, how many Christians have ever dreamed that if you won the lottery, you would just give it away? Yeah, a few people, that's, that's what you do. I know if I won the lottery. Statistics says that doesn't happen. It, it's kind of interesting that once you get this, it becomes that. Uh, that study uh, in the UK showed that the average UK uh, income gives 3.1% away to charities. 3.1%. I'm not talking about the church, I'm talking about charities. Uh, that's all charities coming together to work that out. But what they discovered was this, that that, that was higher than average. That as your income increased, they discovered that those who were on 10,000 a year or less uh, below the poverty line actually gave 5.2%. But what they discovered was that those on 100,000 a year or more give not point, sorry, not point not 0.07%. That, 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 the more money you had, the less that it went down. Uh, so for those of you who are above average givers, don't fear. I guarantee you're above average spenders. So it should balance it out a little bit. But here's a cra- crazy thing. You know, some of us are so good at spending that we've actually figured out how to spend more than we earn. Let me say that again. We're so good at spending, we, we, we often we spend far more than we earn. And we, we, we live in a culture where banks and government have, have taught us to, to go out and purchase things to keep us in debt for a le- very long time. I know we've got some financial advisors out there. Now, why, why is that important that we understand something about this as a church? Well, you see, the church, for the most part, are afraid to talk about certain things, money, sex, and a few other things that, that we're, we're afraid to go to. And yet, if the church isn't teaching us how that we live a biblical concept of a kingdom principle, then I'm not sure that we fully understand it or fully get it. If you are going to get offended today about money, then you probably need to have a long, hard conversation with Jesus what happens is this, is that, that, that the Bible makes it very clear. If you turn your money into a God, it will determine your heart condition and what you get in the kingdom of heaven. It, it's, a, it's a fascinating concept. To honor God with your money takes sacrifice, but he often tests us because of our heart condition. He, he wants to know that if you're going to be faithful, that we're faithful in all things. God wants us to know, will you love and trust money, or will you love and trust God? God wants to know, will you love the things that, that he cares about, the things that he wants, or will you put your trust in money, things, materials, and resources? And this is what Jesus said. In Luke 16, 10 to 11, he said, whoever can be trusted with very little will be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. And often God tests us in order to see whether we can handle something greater. And it's an interesting concept when you see church leadership or development. Because what happens is you're looking for people who can be trusted in the little things. Emptying bins, putting chairs out, uh, counting the offering, serving the coffee. Because what tends to happen is that's where you start. And, And as God begins to give you a little bit more, all of a sudden you're planting churches and preaching every Sunday. You know, I often, we're talking to Mike this week, we're, you know, figuring out some stuff. And um, one of the things you realize, you know, people say, John, you're first in here, you straighten the chairs, you, you hoover the floor, you make sure the leads are all right, you tidy up and clean the windows. 
You know, that's a pretty much a Sunday ritual for me. And everybody's looking at me going, what other pastor does that? I said, well, me. Because what I've learned in this is that if I don't set the standard of serving at the bottom level, when this toilet down here, that one gives me a nightmare. It gets blocked sometimes. I'm the plumber. And it's important that we understand that that's the concept of heaven, that we demonstrate a model. God wants to show us are we trustworthy and do we handle riches really well? I've discovered that, that God tends to give wealthy people finances because they have learned the hard way how to be trusted with that amount of money. I think if God gave some of us a large amount of money, we wouldn't have a notion what to do with it. And I've discovered that God tends to give wealth to those people who know what to do with it. So if you want to be wealthy, learn, learn, learn how to... How, how to how to be good with it. Um, I, I think when God wants to touch us, he wants to challenge us that our number one competitor for our hearts is, is money. I mean, let's be honest with me. Put your hands up. Who, who would say that if you had a little bit more income, a little bit more money, life would be a little bit easier for you? You can be honest. A few of you? Yeah, that's fair. Probably true. M- most of us, though, don't understand that 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 in order to increase that, it requires a sacrifice. Usually means working more shifts. Um, Aaron, Aaron said, Daddy, I want this, this, and this for Christmas. She's about to become 17. Or, she's probably going to kill me right now. So 17, three months' time. Guess what we're talking about right now? Cars. Cars we're driving. And uh, has anybody ever tried to insure a 17-year-old these days? Anybody? Yeah, that's a nightmare. It's not even easy anymore. And uh, it's like, oh, I said, darling, you have to go and get a job before we start anything. Yeah, but I'm trying. Uh-uh. It's not how it works. Try all you like, go get a job, and then we'll talk about cars. You see, money promises what only God can provide. Money promises security. If you have more, you'll be secure. Money promises freedom. If we have more, I'll be free. Money promises power. If I have enough, I'll become powerful. And money promises significance. If I have enough, I'll be really important. And and I'll get security and significance out of that. And yet, it doesn't matter how many billions of pounds you have. If your kid gets hit by a car, it's only then you realize the value of your security. Real freedom comes from God. Real power comes from God. Real significance comes from God. You have all the money in the world, but it's only Christ that you can find true significance in. Money is a counterfeit God. And we need to readdress the balance in our minds of how we perceive that. It wants us to love money. The world wants us to understand that that's the goal. Bigger cars, bigger houses. Better. I was at a wedding on Friday. It was the best wedding, one of the best weddings I've ever been at. It had 10 people at it. Two people on the most gorgeous sunny day on the north coast over the Giant's Causeway. The bride walked mostly in her bare feet. And honestly, it was an absolutely stunning wedding. And I'm going to you young people. If I was getting married again, that's exactly how I would do it. It didn't cost, didn't cost any money. And it was one of them. Honestly, isn't that right? It was so good. And it was like for the ones that were there. And Charlie and uh, Abigail eloped from America. They're our, our, um, uh, our couple of our interns. They got married on Friday. They're on their honeymoon in Colerain this morning. <laughs> so thank you for who chipped in for that and blessed that. Uh, but I think sometimes we got our... What I loved about those guys was they didn't care about the big picture. What they cared about was being obedient to God and falling in love and getting married. And I think sometimes we've got this all upside down. And Matthew makes it really, really clear when he says, Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you hate one and love the other. 
or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It's real and interesting one because you'll be sitting out there going, I don't serve money. Well, let's see. How could you say that we serve? But, you know, I might say that I can serve God and my job and I, I, can, I, I could serve my house and I could serve God and power, but I can't serve both God and money. The Bible makes it really clear because money, the Bible says, is the root of all evil. It's, 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 the problem is money's not the root of all evil. The love of money's the root of all evil. And I hear that misquoted so many times. Uh, are we going to love and trust money more than we love and trust God? You know, I, you might say, but John, you're being a wee bit rough on us this morning. I, I, I like money and I need money and, 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 and I could use money, but I don't love money. I don't, I don't love money. It's like, it's like I, I, I need it to do what I do. But let me, let me be a real example because the Bible makes this kind of clear. Some of you put your hands up a moment ago and said, if I had a little more, I, I would do better. But Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, whoever loves money never has money enough. And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Because it's like, it's like in Narnia, when Edward goes after the, the Turkish delight, when he gets a little taste for it, it becomes a thing that drives him. I spent the first lot of years of my life pursuing money. And, and then I realized that it was much better to pursue God. And, and when, you, when you realign that, something in your life begins to change. And God is really interested. And the thing about this, and I've seen it through scripture, and I've seen it in life, this is the area that God will test you in. In fact, all the way through scripture, God tests leaders in around their sacrifice. All the way through the Old Testament, you see it. And God tests us and he wants us to know, can we trust him? Today, I want to look at a couple of angles on this and give you a little bit of my, my, my thinking on some of this. And I believe if you're a Christian and committed follower of Christ, then hopefully the response of this is that God will actually touch your heart today in some way. Uh, I, I, I want you to to think this, will I give God my first and best so that he can bless the rest? Will I give God what's first and best so that he can bless the rest? Leviticus 27 30 talks about a principle in the Old Testament called the tithe. In fact, um, the Hebrew, the Hebrew onyx of scripture, the, the idea of the rabbinic, which was teaching this understanding of what a tithe meant, the word is um, ma'aser, and um, ma'aser was this idea that, that whenever you brought your first harvest in, whatever you earned, whatever you brought in, you brought first to the Lord. It was the first fruits. It was this idea that, that we take a 10% and we bring it to the storehouse of the community, of what's going on in the community, and that whenever difficulty came, we had enough left over to resource a whole community. And it was this idea that we built this storehouse up so that, that whenever difficulty came, things could, could, could remain the way they were for a season. And actually the principle is, is this idea that, that if they sold their house a tithe of the sale of the profit of the house went into the first fruits. If they sold a product, it was the first fruits. And it's a, it's a technical thing sometimes whenever we, we look at this. Because the truth is this, is that, that they had a concept, the Hebrews had a concept that everything that they owned belonged to God. In fact, everything that was given to them, the harvest, was from God. So technically it wasn't them giving it back to God. It was them returning what God had already given them. It was, it was like taking what God had given them and giving you a share. Let me give you an example. Uh, a few years back when my kids were, were young, when McDonald's first came, kind of when they discovered that they liked McDonald's. And uh, we went out to McDonald's one day and um, I, I, I don't know what had happened, but 
Ethan and Aaron had managed to get my large fries instead of their kitty measures, all right? And I ended up with one of those tiny little bags with four chips in it. You know what I'm talking about, parents, right? And, and the two of them are knocking into these two big bags of chips. And, and, and I had to teach them a principle of, of taxation, all right? So I went in to lift the chips out and said, but daddy, these are our chips. No, no, I think you'll find that they're mine. No, no, these are my, you, you, these are our chips. Who bought them? Oh, right enough. So I told them I was the lord of their fries. <laughs> and they lost, they lost 10% each, came back, came, back, came back to, but it was me that bought them. See, and I think sometimes with this weird concept that, that, that if, I, if, if it's given to us in the first place, because the truth is this, all things are given to us by the Lord. It's saying, how, how, can, I, how can I feel like I'm taking something from the Lord when actually what I'm doing is returning what he blessed us with? And it's really important to understand, and the kids have learned a lesson, that now when they're in the back of the car and we're going on holiday, they, they know my, ear, my, my, my ears are on because what they've done is they've sneaked a couple of bags of sweeties into the back of the car and then they try to open them nice and quietly <laughs> until some, and they say, all right, tithe, come on, taxation. <laughs> Easter eggs, important, tithe. They tithe in our house. Easter eggs are really important. They've learned a principle that actually there's something in understanding that the Old Testament, that the, in, the, in the Hebrew thinking, and, and the, is the way the Israelites thinking, was that if you didn't return your tithe, you were actually stealing from God. You, you were taking from God. Ananias and Sapphira worked that out. But if you go back to the way, so their thinking was very different to our modern day thinking. And, and, and you might say, well, well, well where's that from, John? Where, where do you get that? Well, actually, Malachi 3 has a whole chapter on this very thing about, about bringing sacrifice. And what are you going to understand? It says that um, in, in 3.8, it says, will you rob God? Will, will you steal from him in his tithes and offerings? Let me give you a bit of context with what was happening. Was, what was happening was that in Malachi's day, the, the Israelites had, had got to a really good place of prosperity. They were doing really well. Things were going well. Their animals had got better. Their crops had got better. They'd worked the land and things were doing really well. And what happened was, um, uh, after a while of giving their first fruits, because what would happen is they would take the very best lamb and they would come to sacrifice that. They would take their very best goat or whatever it was and they would bring their very best product to God. But after a while of prosperity, they did what people who prosper do. All of a sudden, you're like, I, I don't want to give God that, that sheep. That sheep's my prized ram. John Walker was telling me last week, was, was it 100 grand for a sheep? Isn't that what he said? 100 grand for a sheep? What the heck? It's like, how is a sheep worth, it, worth that? And then he explained to me, and I'm not going to explain that to you today, but <laughs> you, you can work it out. But, but what happened? Imagine taking your prized sheep, 100 grand, and going, okay, God, I'm going to sacrifice this. But what they were doing was refining old Charlie, who's 55 years old, He's got a peg leg and an eye hanging out. His ears are drooping. And they would take the old sheep that was half dead, the old mutton, and they'd bring it up and they would present that on the altar of sacrifice, bringing their last fruits, their worst thing, because they didn't want to do it anymore. And, and Malachi, as a prophet, comes in and he says, hey, who are you to do this to a holy God? And he challenged them, why are you robbing from God who gave this? And he challenged them really hard because what they were doing is they were just giving their dregs to God. And there's a concept that is Old Testament that, that all of a sudden 
People who don't like tithing, who, got a tr- who, who use this as an argument and say, well, tithing's uh, not, not for today. And you're right, it's not. Because what Jesus did in the New Testament was take the Old Testament law and increased it. He said, in the Old Testament, do not kill. In the New Testament, he said, do not hate. He, he increased it. In the New Testament, he said, do not commit adultery. In the, in the New Testament, he said, don't even look at a girl the wrong way. And what I'm trying to say is, is that the New Testament is increased. And, and unfortunately, as a church in the Western world, we've got this really wrong. I've I, I worked out that if every person in, in, who claimed Christianity actually did what the Bible said to do and tithe, we would actually become the government of our country. Because the income coming into that would be equal to what uh, many of the local governments aren't able to do. And the waste that goes on, given it to that way, what, what happens is when, when God wants to, to rise up a church that has an impact, if every single believer gave a tithe, we would change the world. And the problem is we don't see it like that. Because here's the truth. I would say this is across church, across the board, 20% tithe, 30% give something, and 50% of a church give nothing. Now you're like going, oh, I'm shocked at that. I'm not here to give you a hard time about it. That's between you and the Lord. I'm just saying, statistically, that's generally what it happens. Imagine if the church had, a, had an epiphany. What could we do with that? How could we bless our community? How could we bless our country? Because the, there's three things that bring blessings when we tithe. Let me, let, 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 me, let me give them to you dead quick. If you're taking notes, here's the first one. A tithe provides for God's work through his church. The Bible's really clear that it's, 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 it's about how, how do we support a church to do what they're meant to do? Now, Hear me on this. I, I'm smart enough that, that as a church, what I've learned is that we've got to create some business strategies within a church, kingdom principles, in order to help the church do what it needs to do. It's sad because if the church actually tithes, we wouldn't have to do that. We could steer clear of, of, of that other stuff. But yet, God's called us into a place where kingdom business, and we've got some incredible people in our church who follow kingdom business principles. And I can't share that from the stage, but I can assure you, we've got people who understand how to manage, how to do kingdom, and how to do kingdom with their finances and wealth really well. But, but Malachi 3.10 makes it really clear. Bring a whole tithe to the storehouse. Now, the storehouse back in the Old Testament was this picture of the community hub. In the New Testament, the storehouse was an image of the New Testament. It was of the New Testament church, that you bring this to that. So what happened today, that many people would come along to their ties, the house of God, that you come here and you, you, you get spiritual food, you get spiritual worship, you get taught, you, you get that by a bunch of people who actually, if they were in the world, would earn three times what they earn within the church. You see, sacrificing, sacrificing to serve is that we often just, well, a pastor doesn't deserve that. Whereas those same pastors in the world would be earning four or five times what they earn in church. So we have to come up with, with an understanding that actually it's the church's responsibility to make sure that Mike and Rihanna, who Mike has just come on staff, actually that their family flourish. That, 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 that they're not struggling. And, and it's really important that you get that. That if he's going to pastor you and, and build the church of the kingdom of God, that it's our responsibility to take care of him and his family. And that's, that's the rabbinic. And yet we lose it sometimes when we go... Well, they're driving a new car. Do you know, I spoke to someone who seriously, I, I, when I became a pastor, I, I left my business behind. Where in business, I, I, I definitely would have been earning a lot more than I'm earning now. It was a cost and a sacrifice. And here's the other thing, what most people don't know. I do an average of 90 hours a week. Now, I'm not saying that to big myself up. I want you to hear something. 
It's the calling of God. It's when you come in, you just do it. That, that, that when you're putting the effort in to write a sermon, a new sermon like this, which takes probably the best part of 12 hours, and that's, that's me improving from the 25 that it used to take. But what happens is when you begin to do that, that no, no, nobody begins to see that. So all of a sudden your hourly rate comes down to less than minimum pay. And, and, and yet we have a terrible attitude in the church, particularly in Northern Ireland, towards that thinking. And we need to have a revolution about that. One of the things that you need to know is that, that some of us work incredibly hard to create side income streams. And unfortunately, we have to tent make in order to do that. Because why? Because the church doesn't understand the concept of, of, of tithing and giving. Now, I'm, I'm not saying this to make you feel guilty. But if the Holy Spirit's making you feel guilty right now, God bless it. <laughs> you see, another thing that's happening right now is most people aren't plugged in the church. We, it's really weird since COVID two things have happened we've got a visitor culture you're very welcome but we've discovered that there's an awful lot of people who just pop in for a little visit because they like the worship and they do all of this and it's like they're, they're, they're floating about at the minute and there's just this, these Christians who are spiritual wanderers and they're not just quite landed anywhere at the minute since COVID they've been kind of wandering around now that's okay if you're just trying to figure out a way in the land or where God might put you but if you're in would you, would you for dear sake get plugged in Stay, come every week, get committed, go help out in coffee, get the new people. Hey, the amount of people come in here and go, nobody spoke to me. Well, you'll not have that problem coming to this church because there's an army of people in that door <laughs> that will hug you and kiss you and look after you and do what you need to. No, I'm kidding, but seriously, we've got incredible. You'll not get through that door without somebody speaking to you. And if you do, come and tell me. But I doubt that's happening. So don't tell me you didn't get spoken to, but here's what I will say is, if you're sitting out there thinking somebody, it's my job to come to you, you can come and have a chat with any of us at any time. Please come say, John, I'd like to serve in the church. I'd like to get more involved. And if you do, I'll point you to lots of people who need lots of help. And the problem is, we're only, we're only bringing our, our sloppy Joe sheep, you know, old Barry down the back. Doesn't know how to buy anymore because he's falling apart. And we come in and we give, we give the Lord half of our sacrifice. I'll go two Sundays out of the month. I'll, I'll throw a tenner in the offering basket once every six months. I, that's not, that is actually not how this is meant to go. And actually, it's really important that you come along and, you know, you, you, get, you get filled with the Spirit of God, you get the gifts, you get the people who continue to work hard at doing that, and we pray for you and we do that. We want to build a successful church. We want to come, we, I really, really tell you, I, I believe that if the church would rise up and fix some of this stuff, we would change the island of Ireland. I absolutely believe that. And if we could get some kind of passion to understand that, that actually one of the things that we've done for year on year on year is we bless the socks of our community. Every event, we never charge, we never charge for any of our events. And we have spent a lot of money in some of our events sometime. We never charge because it, we wanted to be a church that blessed our community. Do you know on Easter how many people come to us, message us, text us saying, we had no money, thank you so much for blessing our community. Thank you for doing that. And as a church, I want us to be the visible body of Christ that we will continue to do that. And it's not about self, it's not about winning souls for Jesus. I don't ever want to be a Jesus salesman. Do you understand? It's about teaching the church how to bless, how to give, how to continually give. And we get 33% of our income that comes into this church goes back out to that community. I don't think there's another church on the planet that's doing that right now. I would love to put 50% into that, but I also love to be able to pay our staff what they deserve. And it's really, really important that we grab hold of this, that we understand that God's given us this concept. And, and as, as a tithe, as you begin to tithe, as a church grows, as people get saved, as people get fed, we continue to grow as a church, God continues to bless what we do. Now hear me, there's some incredible givers in our church. 
I'm, I'm, and here's the truth. If you're sitting awkward out there, this sermon will be making you feel awkward. But you know what's funny? I'm looking at a few people who I know tithe. They're just chilled out. Just like, they're loving life. They're happy. They're contented because they're joyful givers. You know why? Because they get it. They understand it. It took me a long time to figure out the principle of tithing. It took me a long time. But when I got it, I can't afford not to do it anymore. I literally cannot afford it. I can't afford not to do it anymore. There's a principle that has taken place in Rachel and I's life that as we give, as we do that, the Lord just honors it continually, continually. We're a bit tight this month. I've been working with a, a, another group of, of people at a church for the last year and a half. I had a meeting with them the other night. They handed me an envelope. There you go, John. That's for helping us for the last year and a half. Thank you. And what I'm trying to say is this, is that often when I get those envelopes, the Lord says, I want you to give it away. And I'm like, oh God, please. You know, this month we're a bit tight. You know, we're tight. Aaron's looking at a new computer and a car insurance and no, it's like, okay, I want you to give it away. And you give it away. Here you go. And, and, and you watch God just do something as he lines these things up. And I've learned to be in this way and out that way. And you know the fun? I, I, I kid you not. Rich and I, we get to see this. Some of you don't. But I watched a thousand pound do the rounds here one time. Now, we get to see it. You don't. But somebody give it to so-and-so and somebody give it to so-and-so. And all of a sudden, this, this, this thousand pound went around about 10 people because they just kept giving it away. Now, the last person that got it kept it and they needed to keep it. But there was 10 people who felt incredibly blessed by the same 1,000 pounds. I was like, I said, God, that, there's, there's some kind of weird thing going on with all of that mathematically. But that's exactly what happened. And all of a sudden, you could see God's, God's kingdom coming alive and all of that. Ties provide for the work of God in the church. Number, number two, if you've taken notes, the second thing is this, is that the tithe teaches us to put God first. The tithe teaches us to put God first. The, the Living Bible translated this. It says, the purpose of the tithe is to teach me to put God first. And here's the beauty about this. It's a tangible, practical way that we do this. We make a con- conscious choice. Do you know what? I'm going to do that. And, and, and you know, and those, those tithers are back there kicking out, smiling, and they're, they're happy. And the rest of you are going, holy cow, John, 10%? Are you kidding me? You're telling me I should give God 10%? That's exactly what I'm telling you. Now, now, now do the maths, all right? It's really simple. If you, if you get a thousand pound home at the end of the month, 100 belongs to God. That's just, just the way it goes. I bet Christmas is coming. And, uh, you know, I need a new pair of boots. Or I need a new Prada bag. And all of a sudden, there's the old sheep, the old mutton coming back again. Old Bob down the back there. Now nah, I'll hold back. I'll, I'll, give, I'll give God 20 quid this month. And that is actually how we're wired. And I'm telling you, we've lost something of the principle of this sowing and reaping. And, and God, I can tell you, when you put him first, it's like, <laughs> I don't know the number of times that we've done this. When God says, will you test me? As a church, we live here. Like, as a church, our elders, we're, we're like, we'll do kingdom come again. Yeah, but we lost 20 grand last year. Yeah, I know, but let's do it again. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll do that community event it's going to cost us another 5,000 to do we don't have any money in our bank account that's right but we're going to do it anyway because I've discovered that 
I don't know how this works, but if you decide to do it and you go out in faith to do it, for some weird reason God does. We, we had a situation here with this building. We, 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 were, we were fitting it all out. And we'd, you know, people had donated over a couple of years to do that. But right at the last minute, we didn't think the building control, building control made us change those two disabled toilets. We had a nice big kitchen plan, but we had to put two disabled toilets in. And then I didn't think we were going to make us put a lift in because it was an old building, but because we made it a new building, we made us put a lift in. And all of a sudden, we're about 65,000 short. And I have no idea to this day how that got paid. But I can tell you, because we went out in faith, knowing to do it, and we're still always against it as you're growing, God somehow paid that. It came, the last 20 grand came from someone who I'd been counselling, who, who said, do you feel the Lord on something? How much do you need to finish your building? And I said, I need 20 grand to be in your bank account tomorrow. Now, I don't know how or what or whatever that goes. I just know that when you step out in faith and you take a chance. I, I'm going to give you a challenge. I'm going to give you a challenge that make a decision today to tithe. Have a go. For three months. For three months, tithe. Sarah will keep a record of it. There's only two or three people get to see it, but Sarah's over there. She'll keep a little record of it. And if God doesn't bless you in that three months and you don't grab hold of the principle of, of what God does, we'll give you your money back. What, what have you got to lose? I, I'm dead serious, by the way. Because if you've never done it, you'll not understand it. It's only when you do it, you go, oh my goodness. I, I honestly, I, I, <laughs> I, I've, I've seen this over, over the years where a couple of years back, a, a girl, I, I, did, I, I preached a sermon a while back and, and a girl said, okay, I, I'm going to do this. And it really, really cost her to move to a tithe. And Christmas was around the corner, things were coming. And she, she had been working incredibly hard, doing a lot of her single mommy. But she'd, I'm going to tithe. And she, she was like, this is a big stretch, John. And I, I was like, okay, well, let's see what God does. And over the three months, she got the end of the three months, she got her last pay. And she got a call from her boss saying, hey, we just want to give you a Christmas bonus because you worked so hard. They give her a 5,000-pound check and a brand-new Nikon camera because she, she wanted to do photography. And the company had blessed her. And she said, instantly I knew it was the, the way that the Lord was just showing me that if, 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 I, tr- if I trust him, he'll, 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 tr- he'll give it back in a trust. I hadn't spoken to her in a few years and, and had another conversation where not that long ago. She says, you know, I've never stopped doing that and God's never stopped being faithful to me. And I think, I think there's just something that we do that. I, I was speaking to a guy, quite a wealthy businessman a few years back and um, he, he, he'd made his first million and he likes to tell, you know, he likes to tell some people. There's two types of millionaire, them that don't tell anybody and them that tell everybody. Usually the ones that tell everybody really aren't millionaires, but that's a whole other story for another time. But he had made his first million and uh, I said, so uh, how's the tithing going? He says, what are you talking about? I says, I'm, well, I'm hoping you're tithing because I know a good church if you want to tithe it to. You could, you could help us out. He says, so it, it never heard the, he's a Christian guy, he never heard the concept of tithing. So I did this sermon with him there and then. He says, are you telling me I should give 100 grand away? Yes, that's exactly what I'm telling you. But, 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 but I, I worked hard to get that. Yes, I understand that. And, and I said, look, I'll tell you what you do. Why don't you start with 5% and see how you get on? <laughs> he gave 25% away that year. The man is now one of the richest people in this country. 
And he, he's learned something about how, how when God comes into the mix and you bring your tithes and offerings to do that, you do that. Now, people kick back often. Why? Because you love money. And if you're sitting out there kicking back on me today, it's probably a question that you need to go and have a long, hard conversation in your heart. Why doesn't the band come back up again? Finally, number three. This is a cool point. I want to point this out before I kind of move on to that one. But uh, seven is widely known as the perfect number in Scripture. You know, it's kind of known as this number, seven, perfect. Six is less than perfect, 666, Satan. Now, I'm not a big numbers fan, but often 10, 10 becomes the testing. And we see it through scripture on the obedience. We see God give us 10 commandments. Pharaoh's heart, he had to have 10 plagues. We see the 10 virgins were tested uh, for the bridegroom. We see that there was 10 lepers who needed to come back and do that. And then of course, Jesus had 10 disciples. No, I'm just kidding you. Ten is always associated with a, with a, with a test. It's like, it's like how, do we, how, how do we do that? Well, if we return the 10% of what God had already given us, we'll understand a principle. Sorry, I'm, I'm out of time. I need to get the, my last point. Which I cannot find right now. Number three, giving more than you can requires faith. It requires an understanding to go, I'm going to go out in faith. And unfortunately, we're too scared often in our kingdom principle to step out in faith. When you step out in faith in something, I've just discovered that the Lord, Lord blesses it. Um, even in prayer for healing, even in salvation, I've discovered that if you step out of your chair and come to the front, I don't know why this is, but God seems to honor that movement. Uh, Charles Finney, 150 years ago, used to invite people forward for salvation. Uh, and the whole idea was that, yes, you can give your life to the Lord in a chair, and you can make a decision where you're at, but there's something about getting up and coming to the front and saying publicly, I'm prepared to step out in faith that seems to, seems to have a bigger impact or seems to have, have a much more uh, deeper principle in the kingdom of God. I want to ask you today, have you, have you more faith for the devil to deceive you than for God to bless you? Have you more faith in a world to give you its blessing or for God to give you its blessing, his blessing? Have you more faith with the comfortability of our life when you know that God might be asking you to do something and you don't do it because it's easier to stay in the status quo? And I really believe that God's saying, hey, will you step out in faith with me on this journey? Now, I'm not just talking about money anymore. I'm talking about how we live our life. Will you live a life of faithfulness, of faith, that you'll step out in faith? I, 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 I you know, we, we were out in Dan's stag day uh, yesterday. Dan's, Dan's getting married to Stacey in a couple of weeks' time. And uh, we had a bit of crack yesterday. And, uh, you know, I, we're trying to leave. Where was Asman? He was evangelizing half of Belfast. Right, Aslan, come on. 
Uh, look around, oh, he's evangelizing. And I never met a man with more faith just to go up and... Pro- <laughs> he was in his element, you see. Common market, target-rich environment. Yeah, prophesying for people. to go everywhere you go. I'm like, husband, you want to take a Saturday off sometime? Doesn't work like that. Why? Because when you've got the faith to do that stuff, you just, you press in and you do it. And you see, you see the healing of the Lord. You see people's lives being in touch. We're about to leave yesterday. He spoke to a guy and he prophesied to him. I said, how'd it go? He says, he says it was amazing. When we move out in faith, God has this incredible ability to demonstrate somewhere where even our little tiny faith. If you're sitting out there going, I can't do a tithe, John, I've been given a little bit. Well, if the whole church did this one thing, if you just increased your current giving by 20%, no, no, 10%, that'd be 60,000 a year for this church. Just if everybody who gives right now just increased by 10%, that would pay for two more staff to do kingdom work for, for us. But also, it might actually be a massive resource for some of the things that we want to do in the community. Sarah has to work, incredi- Sarah has to work <laughs> incredibly hard to find funding to do this stuff. And we will go after that. But imagine if the church could resource the kingdom of heaven projects. Imagine that, that, that we could come up with kingdom business ideas in order to generate millions and millions of pounds that we would continue to build God's kingdom. Not... For, for our blessing, but for the blessing of the kingdom of God. Why don't you stand with me? God, God knew before the creation of time that he was a giving God. He was a giving God. And it said, for God so loved the world because of love that he gave his first he gave his only begotten son so that whoever would believe shall not perish but have eternal life. God was a giving God. He didn't have to, but he's a giving God. And he's a God who blesses. But if we go after it because we want a magic fairy in the sky, which some of us treat God like, that we go after God looking for the blessing, you've got that round the wrong way. We go after God and as a result of chasing God and pursuing him and worshiping him because he's a good father and because he's a giving God, he then gives. It's, it's backward. And, and I think if you, can cl- if you can clock this one, something will change within you. If, 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 you're, if, you're used to, if you're used to going, God, I need help because of this, this and this, why don't you stop asking God for that? Why don't you leave that alone for a while? And why don't you just go, God, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to pray to you. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to fast and pray. I'm going to go after your kingdom. I'm going to seek your kingdom first. Because I know that in worshiping in you and going after you and committing my life to you and dealing with my stuff inside and dealing with what I have, I know that if I continue to do that somewhere along the way, God, because I know your character, I know who you are, you will bless my life. And watch him make all those other things go away. But we start this way and we go, God, I I need a blessing from you. And we treat him like a big magic abracadabra in the sky. It's time to change our attitude, change our heart, change our mindset. That we seek first the kingdom of God and all these things get added onto you. And God's calling you. And I I really believe, I really believe this morning that, that the greatest gift 
that God wants to give us his son, Jesus, who died on a cross. If you don't know Jesus today and you've never received that gift, if you've never had the greatest gift ever, you know the greatest gift ever? The gift of salvation. If you've never had that, you've never known it. You don't know who Jesus is. You've never encountered him. You've never met this God who blesses. Or maybe you did many years ago and you went, nah, he's not a God I can follow anymore. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, that there's a God who wants to touch your life today. We've a, we've a team here. We've got a prayer team. If you want to know who Jesus is, you, you, you just need to deal with some stuff. We'd love to talk to you this morning. We'd love to know you. Um, there's a text we'll be sent out to all our members just with our given link today. I'm, I'm just sending that out because you're the church and your members here. And uh, if you want to you increase your own giving, please do that. Have a look at that again. I really believe that God, uh, if you need to move to a tithe, I'm not saying, hear me, I'm not saying this so that we can seriously drive bigger cars. I know some people think that, but that's not what this is about. I made sure that my salary for the last two years was made not from the giving within this church. You need to know that. I'll continue to do that. Because as, as, as we move through that, there's other things that we need to do. And it's not about that. I, I'm, I'm really, it's, it's not how we honor God with that. But it's about sowing and building in the kingdom of God. But it starts with surrender to Christ. It starts from coming back. If you don't know Jesus, I'd love you to introduce him today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you today, Lord, for who you are and what you are, Lord. I thank you, God, that you're a God who gives, that you're a God who's not afraid to, um, uh, Lord, to, to touch our lives and bless us, Lord, but you want to do a work in us. The work that God does in you is always greater than the work he does through you. In Jesus' name, amen.